Flying for the O'Brien Show. I'm Brent Vathfinder, joined once again by Quentin Pools. For our second episode here, we'll be getting into some big money moves as free agency continues on with more trades and more max contract extensions, as well as the beginning of Summer League. Once again, joined here today by Quentin Cools. Quentin, how are we doing today? Hey, everybody. Happy to be with the NBA community. It's going to be a fun podcast. Great. Let's get right to it here. Grant Williams was just traded from the Boston Celtics after a couple runs at the title with him. They went ahead and sent him to the Dallas Mavericks in a sign-and-trade. He got a four-year, $54 million contract extension. Great look for the Mavs here as they seek to add some defensive firepower around Kyrie and Luka. Yeah, around Luka and Kyrie. Actually, it's just around Luka, and we'll, we'll see if Kyrie's actually there, right? No, I think it's a great move by the Mavs. They get a guy who cares on defense and is a spot-up shooter. He, he's, he, he's excellent. He, the last two seasons, on three-and-a-half shots per game from three-point, he's been hitting at a 40% clip. He's a thick-chested guy who, who cares on defense. He's going to give you some attitude. He's a guy that I wanted my Blazers to pursue, and I wanted them to keep Tybal and pursue Grant Williams, and, and that's exactly what the Mavs did. They signed Tybal and they traded for Grant Williams. Of course, we matched with Tybal, so I'm happy with that, but really happy with the, what the Mavs are doing. They're surrounding Luka with the pieces, defense and shooting, that I think are going to set him up for success. Yeah, I think the Mavs are in an interesting place as far as expectations for next season because they failed to even make the play-in. They made a last-ditch effort at the end of last season to add Kyrie, and then they actually ended up doing worse with Kyrie to end the season. Obviously, Kyrie and Luka unable to get their chemistry going together. And so after coming out of a season where you were hoping to contend for a title and you missed the play-in, I think there's a great opportunity for them probably not to contend next year with Phoenix, the Nuggets, and the Warriors really looming. But, I mean, especially for them, if they can just make the playoffs, it would be a huge improvement over last season. That's fair. Do you, do you really think that the Warriors have, have a chance to be in that conversation? I mean, they, they made, what, the, uh, the, what they the sixth seed this year, so they barely got, got out of the, uh, the play-in. But I, I don't know. I, I, even with Draymond coming back, like, you know, Clay healthy, like, do we think the Warriors are in that mix? Like, like maybe a team like Dallas has the, has the potential to, you know, shoot for that, that upper echelon. But I, I agree. I, I think that there's, you know, two, three other teams for sure you know, Denver and the Suns for sure that you mentioned, like th- there's no chance in my view, unless Luca goes supernova, which he's perfectly capable of, by the way, I, I expect Luca in the next three to five seasons to be the league MVP, maybe even multiple times. And in the history of the league, it's MVPs that win you championships. It, it, if you look at the history of the league over 20, 30, 40 years, uh, just in, in my lifetime, your lifetime, um, there's one team that I've counted that had that that made us the championship run, took home the trophy, the the beloved Larry O'Brien Trophy, and and did not have an MVP on their roster, and that was the Detroit Pistons in '04. So aside from them, every team that wins this thing it has an MVP that's that's headlining it, and so I just think that Luca is going to be that guy, and they need to do everything in their Uh, ability to surround Luca with the kind of guys that he can win with. Yeah, and I think they have a a really good roster going into next season. On your note on the the Warriors, I mean, I think you have to trust championship and playoff experience. People doubted the Warriors going into the 2022 playoffs after two very disappointing seasons, not even making the playoffs in there. 
And then they turned around and they came back and they won it all in 2022. And so I think you have to trust that championship experience as well as Quinn. As you know, they added resident grandpa, 48-year-old, basically, uh, Chris Paul. And so we'll see what he can add, um, whether he's coming off the bench or the starting lineup. Moving down to the Hawks, the Hawks signed DeJounte Murray to a four-year, $120 million extension. And so now they're going to run it back with Trey and DeJounte Murray and see if they can build a team around those two players that leads to winning basketball games. I think the trouble for the Hawks is if there's any way for them to get out of being a play-in or first-round exit team. Yeah, I, I do think it's difficult because the Hawks have the same issue that the Trailblazers have had for many years, and that's having two excellent young guys in the backcourt who are, are shooters, who are scorers, but who are small and who are not excellent defenders. And so I think with, with DeJounte, like you back up a year, and the year that he made the all-star game, he was scoring 21 points a game and nine assists and eight rebounds and even – with the Hawks, he still had 20 points a game and six assists and five rebounds. Like he was, he was still an excellent player, not quite all-star caliber, but he was excellent. But the problem is, is if those are your two best players, you have a small backcourt that's, that's focused on scoring and not on defense. I think you've got problems. So I, I like DeJounte Murray. I would give him that contract, but I think from a roster building perspective, the Hawks have a long way to go. Yeah, and honestly, they sent a lot of picks to San Antonio to get Murray, and so I'm sure it would have been just brutal to watch him walk in um, unrestricted free agency, and so getting him locked up, I'm sure, makes good on that investment. Going down to the Timberwolves, they signed Anthony Edwards to a five-year, $260 million max extension with the Wolves. The 2020 draft class really getting paid this offseason with LaMelo Ball and others getting these $260 million max extensions. Obviously, the Timberwolves, we've talked about them before, um, kind of had some issues in the past here, really. I mean, they, they gave it all away for Rudy Gobert. They sent like 20,000 picks um, to Utah for Rudy Gobert. And then they were just honestly awful, um, especially at the start of the season. Um, they just, it was not a good fit. And so they've got Rudy running it back. Um, so far, Cat's still on the team and they got Anthony Edwards. And so the Wolves, I think, are in a tough position because we talk about the Mavs. Um, really seeking to make some noise with Luca, but in light of the Mavs, the Warriors, the Lakers, the the Suns, the Nuggets, Quinn, I'm just not really sure there's room for the Wolves here to see even the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, I guess it it depends on on who Anthony Edwards is. You know, if he's if he's that guy, which he believes he is, and the Timberwolves believe he is, they're they're going to pay him that money. And, you know, he, he's had some quotes about, you know, expecting to be in kind of the MVP race next year and in the conversation about the best player in basketball. Maybe that happens. Um, and, and he's obviously, you know, has a ton of talent and ton of potential. Um, I, I think that the Timberwolves, though, need to build around him and, and move off of the Carl Anthony Towns era. As much as I, I love what Towns brings offensively, and he's kind of the that the modern big that stretches the floor and shoots threes. And he's not as much the defensive minded rebounding big that past generations would expect from a center. Uh, I, I think that Anthony Edwards is the guy and he needs to be the guy on that team. And so if that means personality wise or usage wise that they need to move off of Carl Anthony towns, do it and trade him to Portland or whatever you got to do. But like Anthony Edwards, whatever timeline and support role guys and, you know, just build around that dude, um, whatever you can. Yeah. And the writing could be on the wall for the cat era, kind of like you talked about, because they just re-signed 
Nas Reed to a nice contract. And so they've got Rudy Gobert on a long contract and they got Nas Reed. So they kind of have the big settled. And so I could see um, room for Cat to be kind of moved on else. My big goal for Anthony Edwards would really to become a leader on this team. It's one thing to be the highest point per game percentage on your team, but it's another thing to be a leader in the locker room. Um, we kind of know Rudy is more of a quieter type. Um, and so it really, I think, would fall on Anthony Edwards, not just to score a lot, but really to, um, along with vets like Mike Connolly, to really provide some leadership um, if he's going to be the number one option on this team. Before we get into Summer League, I'd love to touch on a recent announcement that's only a couple hours old, and that's the NBA just announced a new in-season tournament for what they're calling not the Larry O'Brien Trophy, but the NBA Cup. Um, and so basically, this is a effort to incentivize teams to try harder in the regular season. My question, you know, to you and, and to the fans would be, does anyone actually think this is going to stop teams from heavily relying on load management? So, no, I, I do think load management will be uh, a huge concern for for teams with stars, for teams with aging stars. I think if you have a, a Kevin Durant, a Kawhi Leonard, a LeBron James on your team, you ought to be resting them. And that might be an unpopular decision for fans who want to see those uh, players play in Las Vegas. But the problem is, is that that's not what we're about. We're about the Larry O'Brien trophy and, and everything that we do as a team, as a franchise has to be toward that goal, not about the NBA cup. And so I, 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 I see a little bit of a, a fallout there that that's just kind of inevitable where there's going to be more load management around that time. And maybe it's going to be, you know, couched with an, uh, Oh, you know, he's got an injury about a week early and it just kind of happens to linger. And so then you just leave that player out. And so from a PR standpoint, maybe you get away with it, but I do think teams are going to prioritize giving their players rest. The thing that I love about this though is that as fans, we get to see tournament games. We get to see semifinal games and a, and a, and a final game where, where people are going to care, like players are going to care, like the players that are out there are going to be invested. Like there's going to be young players who are in this thing who have a, a name to make for themselves, money that's you know, on the table in the offseason. Like there's going to be a ton of fun um, in the in-season tournament. I just don't know that it's going to actually – uh, you're going to get the, the the brightest stars. I think you're going to get young players who 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 shine, but it's not going to be your superstars that are playing in this and, and kind of headlining this. Yeah, I think the, the big factor here is the lack of prestige, and prestige comes with time. I think this NBA tournament really just needs to, to kind of sit like a, a bottle of fine wine and just ferment, because if you think about it, the regular season MVP is a sought-after award. It's a big deal. You even had Joel Embiid towards the end of, of regular season this last season publicly saying he really wanted the award um, while Nikola Jokic was saying he didn't really want another one. Um, you take that versus the newly announced um, Clutch Player of the Year, which last season was given to De'Aaron Fox. There's no way for De'Aaron Fox that that award or to the fans holds any weight in comparison to the regular season MVP because it doesn't have the history, the prestige, the years of winners. And so I think, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, maybe with some history built in, there might be more buy-in, but especially at the start off, no one's ever won it before. There's no history of this tournament. And so I think it's going to be an uphill battle, especially with it occurring in the winter, which is really NFL territory for sports fans.
Yeah, that, that's a good point. Like, I think just the, the sheer competition that it provides with other sports and other TV events, like, I, I think that's really a smart move by them uh, from a business perspective. I think uh, the thing is about um, the prestige of, you know, the MVP of this tournament or things like that. I honestly think that the, the win is going to be for agents and for players because they're going to have just a little bit more leverage going into an offseason conversation with a, with a team and saying, hey, you know, our guy, you know, hit that game winner. Our guy, you know, was the MVP of the play-in. Like, you know, even even for somebody like De'Aaron Fox, who had already secured his long-term contract, but let's say he hadn't. Let's say he was still a year out from that. If he wins that clutch performance award for the entire year above all these other superstar players, like that says something. And like, you can, you can, you know, as an agent, like show them the tape and be like, look what we did. But you also have this award that, is representative of a league, whether that's coaches, GMs, fans, whatever. And there's different people that vote on these different things. So I might be getting some of that mixed up. But the idea is that that in this NBA community, you are recognized for this particular thing. And so I think that agents are going to be the ones that win here. They're going to be the ones that are able to leverage that a little bit more. And so if the superstars, the the 35 and 38 year old superstars are not playing in this tournament and the 24 year old guys and the 22 year old guys are able to, to kind of shine. I think it'll be a win for a lot of people, um, but I'm circling agents as the big winners there. And I think the burden of proof really falls on the players and how they show up on camera to really stoke the fires for the fans. I'm thinking back to when Patrick Beverly Quinn was on the Timberwolves, they won a play-in game against Beverly's former team, the Clippers. And it was at home in Minnesota. And Beverly was weeping. He got up on the scorer's table. He threw his jersey into the crowd. And all of it was a play-in win game. And so I think kind of translating that into the in-season tournament, if the players show up and on camera, they show emotion, they show they care through the way they play and how they respond to wins and losses. I think there would be great ground for fans to really get excited about it if they see that the players they care about are excited about it. But enough about the in-season tournament. Let's get to what everybody else is talking about, and that is Summer League storylines. Quinn, we all know Summer League is the king of NBA overreactions and wild predictions. You play one game you've never played in the NBA before and you play like one game and then everyone's calling you a bust or calling you the next LeBron James. So you always got to be careful when we talk about summer league here, but we've got to talk about it. So starting off here, Keegan Murray um, came back for year two here in the summer and he dominated at the California Classic. He averaged 19.7 points, eight rebounds, 1.3 steals over three games on 51% shooting from the field including 43.8% from downtown from three. This included dropping 41 points in his final game, really putting the Kings in a really good position to see a young talent like Keegan Murray really good. And then, of course, Fox, like we already mentioned, and then they just re-signed Sabonis. So the Kings putting themselves in an excellent position. But I feel like we keep talking about the Western Conference because that's where seemingly all the stars keep going, especially with Kyrie and KD leaving for the West. And so it would be interesting to see how Sacramento can take the momentum of last season, the momentum of their young players like Keegan Murray, and see if they can actually translate it into a playoff series win and excellence next season. Dude, I love, I love the way that the Kings roster is being constructed. Like Keegan Murray is um, like, he's not a quick twitch guy. Like he's not a guy that's going to put a lot of moves on you. If you're a good defender, like he's not a guy that's going to create for himself against 
a lot of NBA uh, players, but he's the type of guy where when you have him as your third or fourth option on a team where he's, he's in the corner for that open three, or he's coming off of a screen, you know, for an open shot, like he, he's, he is the butter to the bread, you know, that, that those other star players are bringing. So when De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis have their two man game and the defense is kind of focused in on them, like he, he's just a perfect compliment. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what the Kings are doing. Shout out to the small market teams. Um, but, but there's a lot of potential with them. The, the problem is, is that they have, you know, they're trying to overcome years and years and years of failure. And, and so they're trying to culturally, adjust and, and kind of build a, a foundation that's actually going to last. We, we saw that this past week with the Sabonis extension. And, and if you're in tune with those stories, uh, guys who are listening, like, you know, the, what, what's going on there is not that he was up for an extension, not necessarily that he was up for a new contract, but the Kings proactively are saying, hey, we want you here long term. We want to do everything in our ability to keep you here, to keep you happy, to keep you paid. Like, he's not owed that additional contract yet. And yet they wanted to show him the love. And I, I think it was a great move. I think back to the culture of the Kings, like you mentioned, Quinn, I really love the culture they have in the locker room. To me, they seem like that classic young, hungry and humble attitude. And there's something about that in the sports world that just captures the hearts of fans. And so I have a lot of love for the beam team. They know they're not entitled to anything. They just finally overcame a 16 year playoff drought. And so they're playing with that chip on their shoulder. And I think that really is going to translate into on-court success. Going over to Oklahoma City, they finally got to see their precious draft pick, number two in the draft last year, Chet Holmgren, finally making his debut playing some actual NBA basketball. And Quinn, he's actually really good. Averaged a double-double so far over three games in points and rebounds. He's super skinny, but he manages to find a way to get in the paint and get what he wants done. Looking at this Oklahoma City young core, people are calling it the best young core right now in the NBA. And I think you have to give the flowers to Sam Presti for the amount of picks he's amassed and the young core that he has assembled for this Thunder team seeking to kind of re-find its identity after the Russell Westbrook years. Yeah, that's fair. I think uh, it, it's the new Max series is going to be about Harry Potter. And, you know, there's going to be that scene, Harry, you're a wizard. Uh, I, I just, that's, Sam Presti like the man is a wizard like how does he do this like just today we're recording on a Saturday night just today he picked up you know a few more picks for just trading off you know Pat Mill Patty Mills to the to the Hawks and and it's just like how how are you doing this like you weren't even gonna play Patty Mills like what what in the world like how are you acquiring more picks and more picks and you know there's just he was trending on Twitter and just he's he's an amazing GM and like I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of teams across the across the, uh, the, the landscape that are interested and, and eager to, to kind of poach him at some point. But yes, I love this team. I love Chet. Um, watching, watching some of Chet's highlights over the last couple of days, even defensively, the, 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 his awareness on the court is just excellent. He's able to help on, on the weak side coming over. Um, he goes up with like both hands straight up in the air and just like kind of palms the ball, but with both hands. And you're just like, wait, is that even fair? And then of course you have Victor Wembanyama now doing the same thing. And he's like three or four inches taller than Chet. So that's also hilarious, but I love Chet. I think, you know, he's obviously added some strength and conditioning from the, from this past year. He's healthy. Um, he, he had one of his threes, but you know, one for four, whatever. Um, but he was just overall like efficient. He fit in the game. He, he found his shot. I think it was, it was great. And um, obviously, like you said, summer league, not, not to overreact, but the fact that he's healthy 
And the fact that he's going to be a contributor on this roster this year as the former number two pick, it's going to be an awesome year for OKC. Yeah, I honestly wish they were in the Eastern Conference, Queen, because I really think they could make the play-in or even the eight or seven seed in the playoffs. But sadly, Oklahoma does reside in the Western Conference, and so they're going to be facing many of the teams we've already mentioned in today's episode. But they're on the kind of beginning side of the long road to being a competitive team, and so they're kind of focused on development at this stage. Speaking of number two picks in the drafts, this year's draft, Brandon Miller went number two, and he made his summer league debut the last couple days. First couple games, honestly, were terrible. He amassed 15 personal fouls in two games. And if you're wondering, Brent, how did he have 15 fouls in two games? I thought you could only have six. In the summer league, the rules are different. So he chucked up 15 personal fouls in two games, 10 turnovers, and 24 total points. Quinn, this has to make Blazers fans feel good to see Brandon Miller struggle at Summer League. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't want to say, you know, any any sort of trash talk against the, the Hornets, but thank you so much, Hornets, for picking Brandon Miller. I am so happy. And that's actually less about Brandon Miller and more about Scoot Henderson. Scoot's inaugural game was just amazing. Like, he was just, the, the crowd was ooing and aahing, and I'm I'm there sitting on my phone, and I'm just watching him, and I'm just like, this, this kid's our future. This is awesome. So, no, it, you know, I'm very happy. Hornets let go with, with, with the Scoot pick. I think they maybe overthought it with the LaMelo and Scoot pairing, and we only have one ball, and how are they going to share? And I get it. Like, maybe at the end of the day, Brandon Miller's just a better guy to, to slot in. But with how he's struggled so far, like, hey, maybe that guy ends up just kind of being your, your three-point shooter and only minimal creation. Maybe he's never an all-star. And at the number two pick in the draft, you have to be picking somebody who's at an all-star level, in my view. So is he a bust? I'm not going there. I'm still going to you know, withhold judgment. I'm going to wait for year one, year two. If after year two, Brandon Miller's still you know, having more fouls and turnovers than points in his games, then yes, I'm going to call him a bust. I think if there's one thing, or really two things, they're connected, that Brandon Miller could take from Scoot's initial game is just explosiveness and aggression, just like offensively. I think you see that in Scoot's game, and whether that was when he was playing with the G League Ignite or even in his debut game, is just kind of that ability to force your way into the paint, push bodies aside, put your head down and get to work. Um, Brandon Miller, a little lighter on his feet, and I think it was just easier for him to get pushed around, particularly in the paint. And so... Fortunately, he more recently had a 16.5 assist two turnover game. And so I think he's getting his kind of NBA C legs underneath him. And it will be cool to see to see how he can try to overcome maybe some of the initial doubts, especially when many people going into the draft, um, including Vegas, often had him at the three pick. But back to the team we spent much time talking about in the last episode, but they've got so much young talent. It's almost impossible not to talk about them, especially when you care about small market teams like we do, Quinn. And that's the Houston Rockets. They had an amazing game against, I don't know, the Portland Trailblazers, where Jabari Smith Jr., after a disappointing rookie season, came out, dropped 33 points, including the game-winning three, which was inbounded to him at .6 seconds. Kim Whitmore looked good. Jabari Smith Jr. looked good. Eamon Thompson looked good. And so I think the Rockets, after these first action at Summer League, have a lot to be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. So Jabari Smith Jr., like last year, yeah, it was it was kind of up and down. Uh, but then even the first half of this game, I, w- I was watching the game. And the first half of the game, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't – like, this guy was 
picked third overall. Like what in the world? But the second half, like he goes, he goes nuts in the third quarter. He he's the guy who has the ball in his hands at the end of the fourth quarter. And yeah, in that final play with the inbounds, like one, one guy, you know, is, is just hurtling Tari Eason's hurtling it over his head. And, and Jabari Parker grabs it from like 33 feet and just nails the three pointer with 0.6 seconds. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. And I'm sitting there as a Blazers fan, like it's probably because it's summer league. I didn't really care, but I was just like so pumped for him. And I was like, man, if he can use those sorts of moments of being the guy and embrace that, then, then he's got a future. He's got, you know, that potential with the Rockets. Now I love the way that their team works together though. Like Tari Eason is like a three and D guy. He was being really aggressive in that game. Um, I loved what I saw from Emin Thompson. I've, I've never seen him, his work prior to this year, but even just the creative finishing around, around the rack, like he had, he had this one move. I actually tried to practice it in my driveway today where he drove right. And then with his left hand, he kind of laid it up and I, I have no idea how he does it. He must be ambidextrous. He must've practiced it a thousand times, you know, because I had, I had no strength and I had no vision. And I was just like, what am I even trying to do here? So the fact that they've got these guys, so much talent, Cam Whitmore, et cetera, like it's, it's so impressive. And it, you know, as long as they're able to coach that team well and not lose guys, lose, lose kind of their intensity and lose their, their commitment to the team first. Um, if, if, if they can coach it well, it's going to be a ton of fun. They're going to be like top of the list on league pass. I think the question though you, I would have, you know, for Mayadoka is how is he going to manage the minutes on this team? Cause they just threw out fat contracts to Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks. And so they're chucking out all their money to these vets, which is great. You know, there's a great mentorship opportunity. Jeff Green also coming in as far as their veteran, but there's only so many minutes in an NBA game that you can play your guys. And so I'm sure there's going to be a tension between getting developmental minutes for people like Cam Whitmore, Eamon Thompson, and Jabari Smith Jr. in his second year, as well as trying to get these veterans who they're paying the big bucks to time on the court. So it'll be interesting to see how they allocate their time on their roster. I think that last week, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at the Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks signings. You know, if you mentioned Uncle, Uncle Jeff Green, I think that those guys are culture setters uh, more than anything. And so I think that that's a win. Um, the problem, you're right, in terms of total time that you're giving uh, on the court to these players, if you're giving Dylan Brooks minutes that uh, the other guys like Tari Eason ought to be having for development, like that, that's going to be a bit of a problem. So they, they might be stuck in that, hey, we're aiming for the plan. And it's like, well, should you be aiming for the plan or should you just be getting reps for your young guys? And probably should be getting reps for your young guys, but I'm not going to count it out. I'm going to wait till, you know, maybe December, January to kind of make my judgment on that one. Mm -hmm. Moving to a team that's had a lot of attention, not because they've done anything in the playoffs the last couple of seasons, but because they did get the number one draft pick this season. And that is the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, their number one draft pick, Victor Wimbignana, had his debut. And it was a disappointment. Nine points. He went two from 13 from the field, one from six from three. He did have eight rebounds, five blocks, three assists, and three turnovers. And really, the way I'd like to phrase this is he failed to live up to the extremely high expectations of fans and media. But once again, the goal of Summer League is developmental. And so I wouldn't necessarily call this game a bust. Right. Where, where he fails is, is when he's, you know, spinning into traffic and he's got three guys on him or he's got a, a smaller defender who just kind of scoots around and steals the ball. 
like, the, yeah, those are, those are problems. Those are things he needs to clean up and those are going to be on tape now. And he's going to be able to work with his coaches on that. But I will tell you, I was not disappointed in the slightest watching his game. I, he plays a beautiful form of basketball. I love his passing. I think he's incredible on defense. Like, I mean, he, he got out for a, a, a three point block that was just incredible on Brandon Miller. I, I'm just like, okay, like sign me up for, for more Victor Wembanyama highlights throughout this next year. I am eager to watch his games, eager to watch his highlights. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, not that I'm trying to turn this podcast into a defense of Wimby, but I think you just have to factor in, especially the amount of pressure that's not just on being the number one pick. It's being probably one of the most um, excited, celebrated number one picks than probably Zion and then before Zion, probably LeBron. And so I think that pressure possibly could have gotten to him. Also, this is kind of a random news story to bring up, who knows how much the drama with Britney Spears could have been playing into his mental game. That's more of a joke, Quinn. But of course, this week, Britney Spears attempted to say hi to Wimby and Victor's security guard wanted no business and backhanded um, celebrated famous pop singer Britney Spears. Um, I don't think that probably played any role in Victor's game. But just goes to show you, he's in the news a lot and he knows that. And even in his post-game availability, Quinn, he just was honest and he told the media, quote, honest, I really didn't know what I was doing out there. And so I kind of love that humble attitude. You're the number one draft pick. People are showing up in droves to see you. And he's kind of gotten this mindset of like, hey, I'm new to America. I'm new to the NBA. I know I'm starting at the bottom, but I want to learn. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that the critique there is that he's a player who relies very heavily, and not just as a player, but as a person, from what I've heard, um, he, he relies very heavily on preparation. And like, am I really going to sit here and say, prepare less? No. Um, but I do think there needs to be kind of a fluidity and a flexibility to the kind of things that are going to come at you. And so you see his response to things like the Britney Spears incident and he's dealing with the media and he's being very open and, and careful with his words and all the things. So like he obviously is prepared for those sort of PR moments and things. And he's been preparing even with his English skills and so forth over many years, Brian Windhorst has done a ton of really great reporting on that. But the problem that I see there is that he, he prepares for draft night, you know, so meticulously and he prepares for, you know, th these moments with the media so meticulously, but, but when it comes to just playing basketball, like there has to be just kind of a, you know, let, let the butterflies go, let them just, you know, get out there and have fun. And maybe part of it is you're playing in a new system. You don't really know what plays they're calling. You don't know how to fit in with this particular group of guys. I get all that. And I'm totally, totally fine with that. But there's a part of me that wants him to just embrace the flexibility, embrace the fluidity, like just play ball and have fun. And, and he's going to do that over time. Yeah, I think these last couple of days for everyone involved in the various situations was honestly just nothing more than a big learning experience. Like you said, with Wimby, learning a lot about what it looks like to be an NBA player, learning on the fly in transition in games. And then maybe for Britney Spears, she finally found a situation in her career where she probably doesn't want to sing Hit Me Baby one more time. Moving on down to one more news story from the Spurs. Tonight, the Spurs signed Greg Popovich, Quinn, the GOAT of coaches, to a five-year, $80 million contract. So, Quinn, Pop is right now 74 years old. He will be 79 when that contract comes up. And so we see the Spurs here kind of putting their foot down, and they're saying, we want Pop to be the one that's going to help oversee this young core's development. And I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
So what's crazy is Phil Jackson has not been coaching for what, like 12 or 13 years. <laughs> and he's only three years older than Greg Popovich. So he could still be like, imagine Phil Jackson still coaching over the last like decade and a half. And that's what Greg Popovich is doing right now. Like, it's pretty amazing. Now, granted, his teams have not been excellent over the last few years. That's both a talent thing. Uh, it, well, it's more a talent thing, I think, than a coaching thing. But I do think that as he as he gathers this excellent talent around Victor Wembanyama, he's going to have the potential in the next five years to win that championship. Obviously, that's what they're paying for. They're not just this is not this is not like the Kobe overpay in those last two years in 15 and 16, where they just give him a massive contract. I think it was two for 48. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what this is. This is not just a legacy gift to Greg Popovich. Like Greg Popovich wants to coach Wemby. Wemby wants to be coached by Popovich. And this is a great pairing. Like I am all in on them having Greg Popovich around. Yeah. I mean, I, I think going back to why the Warriors are so successful and Steve Kerr, when you have that championship experience and that championship culture, I think it pays big dividends developmentally. And so Pop is going to bring the same kind of love, care, and coaching that he did to help develop David Robinson and Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Ginobili. I think Pop has the resume to help make this first core excellent. And so even if that's passing off the team to someone new, maybe Becky Harmon, who knows, in five years, it'd be interesting to see kind of how this young Spurs core I mean, they've been throwing out players in the last couple of years a lot. And so if they can find a core and stick with it, but kind of as we start closing down the episode, want to come and visit the two teams we're going to visit every single episode, no matter how hard they're doing. And that is the Portland Trail Blazers and the Orlando Magic. Portland had an interesting week here. They're trying to get the ground off on the scoot era, but all the media attention, of course, is on their outgoing player, of course, Damian Lillard. You mentioned already, Quinn, they did match my teeth. Thibel's three-year, $33 million offer sheet with the Mavs. They didn't want to see him go and join forces with Luka and Kyrie, so they retained him, kind of pairing some vet power with him and Jeremy Grant. And maybe they can help develop their younger players as Scoot Henderson and Shane Sharp had a very promising debut this year on the Summer League. So they kind of have some vets to help go with the young core and start kind of developing their way towards the long road to contention. The only thing that's changed since we last recorded, Quinn, is Damian and his agent have been made very clear there's only one place where Damian Lillard would like to take his talents, and that is South Beach. Let me start with the Tybal uh, piece of this. I think three years at $33 million is a great price for a guy who's a two-time all-defensive selection. I think the fact that you can get that on such a, such a cheap contract, I mean, obviously his shooting is inconsistent at this point and needs to improve, but I just think he's going to be a, a really important piece to put around our backcourt, which is a lot of shooters and not a, guy, not a bunch of guys that play a lot of defense. And so I think culturally, big fan of Tybal signing. Um, in terms of Lillard's uh, exit, I, I'm, I'm doubling down on what I said last week. I think if the Blazers need to wait this thing out, we wait this thing out. We're not going to trade him for a bunch of pieces. So here, you know, we referenced the, the Rudy Gobert trade. I mean, the Timberwolves are like the only team that would do that for a non-superstar. And even for a superstar, like Durant's the only guy that's getting that these days. So, so for Lillard to get, you know, five, six first round picks um, or, you know, four first round picks and two excellent players who are role players, whatever, like that's kind of the ask, but I don't know that that's available on the market right now. So it might require waiting until midseason. And Lillard might be unhappy, but you know what? He loves basketball. He loves Portland. Like all the things that he said, I think are still true about basketball and about the city of Portland and our fans. And so if we end up putting together the pieces around 
to build a good team for this year? Like, is he going to just sit out? Maybe that's up to him, but I would certainly hope that he would, he would play and he would kind of keep his value up. And then maybe there's a trade available specifically to the heat. Sure. Um, or maybe he backs off that and he's, and he's happy to go team up with somebody else in, in a different city in, in you know, Philadelphia or, or otherwise. Yeah, honestly, it's been sad to see some of the fallout, particularly on social media, between the Blazer fan base and Dame, because obviously 11 years of faithful service, um, taking them to the playoffs, taking them to the Western Conference Finals, even though you all got swept. And so I'm really hoping that whatever happens with this situation, that there's still kind of a leaving on good terms eventually between Dame and the city of Portland and their fan base, because, I mean, who has you know been the face of the franchise more than Damian Lillard has. And so I would love to see the situation kind of resolved nicely. Going to the Magic, we recently waived fan favorite Bull Bull. The internet was mad because he's a fan favorite. Um, And I just don't know what it is about social media, NBA social media, and their love for like tall, lanky guys with fun personalities. I'm thinking of Bull Bull. I'm thinking of Taco Fall. There's just something about these guys where they don't necessarily have the finesse to really thrive in the NBA. But they're really fun to watch on highlight reels um, because they can get some crazy blocks with their long arms and their tall height. But I thought that was good on, on, on us for kind of freeing up um, roster spots as we're trying to hone in on developing this young core. We also finally got to see our lottery picks, Anthony Black and Jet Howard. They made their summer league debut. Um, Anthony Black just put up 17 points, five rebounds, five assists and three steals and a loss to the Pistons. And I thought it was everything I wanted as a Magic fan and more from Anthony Black. People are saying maybe he's not really Anthony Black. He's actually Himothy Black to insert the word him into Anthony's name. And so I'll be really excited to see if Anthony and Jet are two more pieces to add to kind of the the Wagner Bancaro core we mentioned last week. Could this be a championship kind of starting four? I really hope so. Yeah, I mean, I I I think I like what. Uh, what they're doing in terms of balancing out the roster, like they're 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 definitely looking at okay, our, our two best players are are kind of more post players or or guys that are kind of in that three four position, um, and so I think that the fact that you could get a couple guys who can run some offense, uh, you know, from from the point and from outside uh, of the arc, I think that's that's smart by them. I, I still have questions about the the both of those picks, um, particularly the Jet Howard pick, but. We'll see. You know, Anthony Black, great start. Um, it is summer league. Don't want to overreact. And honestly, the uh, the bull bull release is not a um, it's not really a consequential decision for the Magic, but it is a decision that makes me sad because because I'm one of those fans that love the tall, lanky guys, and specifically bull bull. I have these weird connections to him. So like he he played for University of Oregon, who I'm a fan of. Uh, he also is the son of Minute Ball. And Minute Ball is one of the few players that I had an NBA trading card of growing up. And it like makes no sense. But I was just like, man, this guy, look, he's so lanky. Like this is crazy how tall he is. And then to see like his son come up through college and then the pros, I would love to see him land somewhere where he could play some, some serious minutes. Apparently the sons are interested in signing him. And I was like, that would, that would totally be what like, you know, a team like the Warriors or the Suns would do. They'd bring along a guy who's kind of been dismissed by several different franchises. And then he's playing like big minutes for a, for a team that's going deep in the playoffs. Like I'd be really happy for him, but bringing it back around to the magic. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to speak to championship level aspirations just yet from the coaching and from some of the, the, the building of the roster. We have no idea at this point, but um, you know, the fact that you got a couple guards, a couple forwards, um, 
still figuring out if uh, if uh, Carter's the center of the future, but he's young. You know, you're building together a good nucleus, so I like it. It'll be another good summer league or, or league pass team to watch. Yeah, and especially if Anthony Black could kind of in my dreams turn into, you know, an all-star guard, it would be so nice to have him pairing with Franz and, and Paulo and kind of build around the three of them. I could see us being a team really making some noise and obviously not just making some noise, but maybe in a few years making an actual run for the trophy. But that kind of concludes it for today. There's more summer league going on right now, tomorrow. And so we'll have a lot more performances to break down. And it's nice that summer league kind of goes on. You're able to see, you know, Scoot was amazing in his first game. Anthony Black was amazing in his first game. But can they sustain that over multiple games and kind of replicate that success? Or is that kind of a one-off good game? And so we'll be breaking down more summer league games coming at you next week. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next time.